So this week we have the return of a few beloved characters, and we also have the Nagus. That is correct. Weren't we talking about how, oh, it's been a while since I we've had a Nagus episode. And yeah, I feel like we haven't seen him since the third season. Yeah, and it's been great. It's been wonderful. And now we have uh, the Nagus. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> I... Uh, I have weird feelings about ties of blood and water. I yeah. think it's a, it's a very good Kira character episode, but it's a little difficult to give a tragic backstory to a character this late in a show's run. It kind of worked for Lewax on a Troy, but for this character, I, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, to a degree, I thought we kind of knew. I I, I don't we know that. What we really find out is that she was not present for her own father's death, and that she still has some unresolved feelings about that. But I think we kind of knew that her parents had been killed in Cardassian attacks. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I don't know. It's it was nice to see what's his name again, and I'm really glad that they resolved kind of that. Gamora. Yes. It, it was good to see that not being tied, um, and it was certainly a very sad episode. You know, I it was an I, I liked this one a lot. I will say, no, I don't I, think it would be one of my favorites of the series, but in terms of, it's been a couple weeks since we've had a plot episode, and this was a good plot episode too. Yeah, I mean, I do like the way that that the episode does tie together Kira's and Gamora's story with the larger Cardassian Dominion Alliance. You get a lot of great scenes of Gul Dukat scowling, and you got, yeah. get a lot of great scenes of Cisco yelling at Gul Dukat. I, you know, I, I just want to side note for a second. A few weeks ago, when we had the Eddington episode, they had that weird hologram, you know, thing, and and you were you were saying that they felt that they couldn't really do a good job of having this confrontation between these two people with just through view screens. One of the counters that I had was Wrath of Khan, which. Yeah. And this episode is another counter to that because there are a lot of scenes with Ducat and Cisco on view screens and just having masterful chemistry together. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I, I, that was just very noticeable in this episode, which was directed by Avery Brooks. Yeah, he did a great job, and I want to talk about that. But the the thing that I think is really interesting about about particularly that that first scene when Gul Dukat calls Cisco and you know demands the return of Gamora, and you know Cisco is basically like "fuck you," <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, you never agreed to an extradition treaty. You you know you've never we don't recognize your government. You know, basically you know screw go screw yourself. And it's great. I mean, I like I've said this before recently, but I feel like Avery Brooks. Like shaving the head and growing the goatee, mm. that has made Cisco into just a, a fantastic character. Mm-hmm. I think that it was always there, but Avery Brooks, I think, is really leaning into that kind of last bit of costuming in a way. Yeah, was just the not. I don't. Want, I don't want to say crutch like it's a bad thing, but that got, kind of just gave him the angle really into this character. Well, it's kind of like when Riker grew the beard yeah. in a sense, and I think that you know maybe Janeway should have grown a beard in Voyager. <laughs> uh, but no, a slightly different physicality to a character is, and it, it really works for him. And I think that you know it may, it may even be that he feels more comfortable that way. Of course, because I believe. I mean, well, I do know I've seen him at conventions. That that's what he looks like even to yeah. this day. So, and I think that you know. 
the gold ducat and the the cisco and gold ducat stuff is the stuff that i want to deal with first because it you know it's important it's important to the meta plot you know the the cardassian dominion alliance is perhaps not as happy as we yeah. think it is and there's sort of intimations of that in this episode well he has a handler he has his he has good old way yoon who's back yes and i want to talk about <laughs> Yoon. but what i what i love about that scene is you know cisco is obviously saying all this stuff from a place of his own kind of personal dislike of gold ducat but at the same time he wouldn't he's a very he's professionally wouldn't do that if this was not the stated policy of the federation no. government but he likes the fact that he can be this just dicky to gold ducat the leader of the cardassian alliance because he you know what what is gold ducat going to do and i think that gold ducat showing up on the yeah. station at that point I think really weakens his position because he really doesn't do anything the entire episode except kind of like growl at people and then he just leaves. Uh, yeah, exactly. It it's, makes it's, him seem very weak and he also has this handler following him around the whole time. All he, all really Golducott wants to do is get, uh, I forget his name already. Wayun. No, other guy. Gamor. Gamor. I, I will always forget Tekeni, his name. Tekeni Gamore. Te, thank you. Tekeni um, Gamore. It's a hard name to say because you've got the sort of glottal stop in the middle. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, he's he's got a week to live. So really, once he dies, Goldicott can't do anything. He's probably under extraordinarily strict instructions not to fire on the Federation because the Dominion is not ready for that yet. Sure. Um, Then that's obviously part of why Wei Yun is there to make sure that Ducat doesn't fuck up. Yeah. And is in line with the larger. I mean, you get to the sense that what is Dukat going to do? Tattle to the Dominion that Cisco's not letting him play, you know? Well, even even to the the you know, this is kind of a minor thing, but the 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 symbolism of Gul Dukat showing up on a Jem'Hadar ship, yeah, you know that says who's in charge here in this alliance, really? Well, I mean, keep yeah, keep in mind, Dukat hasn't had a Cardassian ship in a while. Well, yeah, but he could get one now. No, he's, but he's the leader he's, of the Cardassian Union. I I, 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 I think, think from a from a symbolic perspective. I think it's very important that he has been on now a Jem'Hadar ship, or previously a Klingon ship too. Well, like, I think it's it's how out of place he really is. Goldukat doesn't really have power. No, I agree with that. I think it's it's symbolic for two reasons. It's symbolic because, like you said, Goldukat is sort of not separating himself from Cardassia. He obviously is in charge of Cardassia yeah. right now, but he has been sort of like removed from it for a long time. And he was on the Klingon ship for a long time. Now yeah. he's on this this Jem'Hadar ship. But also, of course, the symbolism is that. This is not the Cardassian Union anymore. No. This this is the Dominion. And Golducott showing up on that station with Wayun on a Jem'Hadar battle cruiser is an indication to the audience and an indication to everyone on the station that Golducott is not really the guy in charge. Yeah. And I think it's done really well because no one ever comes out and says, "Well, Golducott is not really the man in charge." <laughs> you know, but it, it it rewards a close reading of the episode, and it rewards yeah. paying attention to all the stuff that has come before. But yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's not like the Dominion would actually give him any power. He's he sold out his people for being a puppet. Yeah, yeah, and and for what reason we don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting that to a degree we're not taking Goldicott seriously anymore. I mean, it's it's to one degree kind of sad because I liked him as a villain, but he he's becoming castrated the more and more we see him yeah because he's sold out towards he's sold out and he's not he's not a leader he's a follower now yeah yeah absolutely and you know the other thing about gold Ducat too is that 
he is a character that has obviously repaired and then hurt relations with people on the station. I mean, he and Kira were sort of maybe getting along. Yeah. And that was partly the, the I think, writing staff realizing that they were maybe painting him out to be a little too sympathetic. Uh, you know, especially in that episode from last season where they go on the little adventure to rescue his daughter, for example. Yeah. And there's that, you know, horrible scene where he sits on the thing and they laugh and you're just kind of like, is this really what's going on right now? Yeah, no, but, it, it's it's kind of becoming clear that well, whether, you know, I think those feelings were grudging and genuine from Kira's view, but it, it it's heavily suggested that at least the bulk of those feelings from Dukat's thing were lulling her into security. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the so other... That, yeah. Well, yeah, and the other thing, too, I think, about, about Gul Dukat, and maybe we can move on to, to, to Kenny Gamora and, uh, and Kira's story, but... It's really that this episode shows, you know, well, number one, how little power Golducott has, as we already said, how little respect he commands. Yeah. You know, no one on the station likes him. It doesn't really appear that the Dominion respects him at all. And, I mean, they give him Wayun, which, you know, we'll talk <laughs> about Wayun. But, and also, you know, Kira is very dismissive of him for a good reason, because the last time that Golducott saw her, he threatened her. And she was kind of like, yeah, okay, go, go, good job. Yeah. Uh and also that it doesn't really appear that Cardassians even respect him. I mean, obviously, Takeni Gamora is not going to respect Gold Dukat because they have a longstanding, you know, enmity. But also that it doesn't seem like anybody is really on board with Gold Dukat being the whatever he is of the Cardassian yeah. Union. I mean, he's you know, there, it's really funny that that he still calls himself Gaul and he kind of makes that point of like. Oh, well, you know. It's a lot I, more hands-on. I don't want which, to be an officer. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a man of the people. Which I think is him saving face. Mm. Because Gold Dukat is not a man that would turn down a bigger title. <laughs> and because bigger titles mean more power, I think that the Dominion didn't want him to be called anything but Gull. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a thing. So we're going to see where that goes. But... I, I I'm excited. So let's talk about Wayun then, because he's back. Yeah, um, I think it's—I don't know. I found this—I found this version of Wayun kind of funny because he's really into the Dabo, and he, you know, seems to find it a um, like when he's drinking the poison drink, he seems to think like, "Are you insane?" <laughs> Like he—he's acting like someone who's drinking something gross on a dare. Yeah, like, you know, he—he's he, acting like a little kid in some ways. But well, what, I think it's hilarious that this is a property of the Vorta that you know something makes complete sense. Sure. Yeah, and frankly, casts them in a slightly different light that makes them a little more not threatening or sinister, but. They're going to always be there. You can't yeah. really do anything about it in some ways. I mean, unless you destroy their cloning facilities. Yeah. And well, and so I like, you know, this episode is, re- I mean, this episode is really well written, but what what I love about that scene with Wayun drinking the poison is that he says that the Vorta are immune to most types of poison. <laughs> so there's this sort of slight implication that he could have died, but, but it, he doesn't really care. I thought that what, where they were going to go with that was he drinks it, he drops dead, and then Wayun number six appears. Like that, that, that was equally plausible, in, you know? Because I think that that, that, you know, that little tidbit of information, the way that that line is written, reveals something really important about Wayun and perhaps all Vorta is that they don't really fear death. No. And so what you have is you have the changelings who obviously don't fear death. You have the Jem'Hadar who yeah. really don't fear death. And now you have the Vorta not fearing death. And they all don't fear death 
for different reasons in a way, because the Jem'Hadar life is so cheap, because the Dominion doesn't have a singular entity, because the Vorta can be cloned. I mean, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So it's really kind of setting up a lot of interesting um, parallels and a lot of interesting sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, combatant situations between the Federation ideals and sort of the Dominion. Uh, it's shaping up to be very interesting. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, the the real reason why they made um, the, the Vorta be cloned is that they loved Jeffrey Combs' performance um, in, I believe it was To the Death? That's the one where they were finding the rogue Jem'Hadar and yeah. he was very bored From the with end of it. the fourth yeah. season. And they wanted to bring him back. Iris Steve Bear thought it was a, uh, a not a good idea to kill Wayun because they really liked Jeffrey Combs and they liked the character yeah. and the way that that was shaping up in that episode. Um, as I understand it, they could not come up with a way for the episode to end, and so they they killed him. Yeah, but they, which I think was the right episode at the t- yeah. right, right right decision at the time, and this is a very good way of getting out of that in a way which doesn't make it. You know, it, it doesn't make they resurrected the character. They pulled it out of their ass. Like this actually gives a facet to their society that, again, thematically resonates. Yeah, I mean, we've talked. We haven't talked about plot jazz in a while, but but let's talk about it because I think that that's this is one of those, I guess, red cons, if you want, or, or revelations that that really works. And yeah. you know, it also is nice. I mean, you know, science fiction show. I mean, the funny thing is, I've been uh, kind of at the back of my mind watching Deep Space Nine the past few weeks, but I think this week it really hit me that. We haven't talked a lot about how very different Deep Space Nine yeah. is from the the Next Generation. I mean, this is it's a science fiction show, but the a lot of the episodes recently have not. Re- I mean, you could tell it's a war story of, in a lot of ways. Well, this it's could not. Be, I mean, not I mean, even. Th- I mean, look at the look at the next episode, or, or well, look at true. or look at something like uh, Business as Usual, for example, I guess or a Simple Investigation. I mean, these are all episodes yeah. that. You could tell on any type of television show, really. It's true. Yeah. It's. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I mean, there were a lot, and there were episodes of TNG that we said that about, uh, which, you know, with, with few changes, or this isn't really about the technology, you know, the tech is. Uh, and, you know, it, it, in episodes like Family, for example, there was nothing science fiction at all about that story, and yet. But I, but I would say that the the bulk of the yes. episodes in TNG were science fiction. Oh, Whereas certainly. in this, not really. I mean, no one has said anything about chroniton particles or verdoron beams in a long time. <laughs> yeah, no. The, 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 this is again any you could very easily make this a World War II type of story. Yeah, you know, we're talking about you know occupied countries. Anytime I've describe, for example, the premise of this with Bajor and the wormhole, I say, you know, it's essentially as if the U.S., you know, is is help giving relief to some tiny European, con- Eastern European country that's devastated post-World War II and they find oil. Like, that's the... Yeah. That, you know, that's where the premise of this story comes from. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so I, I like that very much. I do like when... Science fiction is about human problems, and I do like that. <laughs> what human problems? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, we're certainly talking about aliens, but and I would say the aliens on this series are a lot less representational of philosophies or ideals than original series, certainly, and to a lesser extent, TNG. Yeah, uh, that's not really at all in play here i would say um well we've talked before about how deep space nine is is the star trek show that is taking a lot of these alien races mm-hmm. and, and and kind of fleshing them out and also 
giving us examples of those aliens that do not fit in with the sort of idea that we That's have of the species. what the next episode is entirely about, I would say. Yeah. And, I mean, it's also uh, – you kind of – you see that with Quark. I mean, you see that with um, – you see that with Kira to a degree. To a lesser extent, even with Dax. I mean, remember when she had her intern, he's saying, you're not like most of the other joint trolls I've met. She is intended to, be, you know, this version of Dax is a lot more earthy and, you know, is a member of the Federation, you know, in ways that most trail aren't. Yeah. Member of Starfleet, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, well, the, the little tidbit, I was going to save it for the end, but it seems to slot in very nicely to this conversation. Then we'll, we'll, we'll move on to Kira and, and Gamora, but... Uh, the when, the very beginning of the episode when it's Worf, Dax, Kara, and Gamora meeting each other. Why the hell do they shake hands? There's no human there. That's true. That's a human thing, and especially in the next episode, um, uh, uh, you know, Frankie Love Songs, where they come up with some sort of like weird Ferengi secret handshake. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It was just kind of like <laughs> it jarred me for a second. Yeah, it, it was kind of a weird misstep. I haven't really. Well, maybe it's you know. It, to an English as a lingua franca kind of thing. They're on a Federation station, so they're going to use a Federation greeting method. I guess. Because, none of the, because there is no method of theirs that would be – although, to be fair, if they did a Bajoran greeting, that would be a lot more symbolic. If Kira gave him a Kardashian greeting, that would be something. Yeah, yeah. No, but, it's just a minor thing. Yeah. So let's talk about Karen Gamore because you seem to have some some thoughts about it. So – it's fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's it's the kind of thing where thematically I don't have a ton of to say about it. It's another it, – it, it's the logical conclusion of this story arc. We get some really nice performances from Kira. Again, any time you know, Nana Visitor has to do something that's emotionally complex, she nails it, and it's always a joy to see. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I – I I always wonder if the flashbacks work. Like they seem they they don't come, there's only like 3 of them. Yeah. But it seems very out of place for the episode. I don't know that the episode needs the flashbacks to work. Yeah, especially it, it, it because been... I guess what I'm thinking about is I really like the end of the episode when you know it's time and she finally comes in and they just do a very hard cut to her talking to Cisco and yeah. and she just describes the last few hours of his life and it's a lot more effective as a, as as a monologue than it is as the actual scene. I mean that was that's a great scene. And she does explain about, you know, I wasn't there when my father died. I feel like if they had offloaded the flashback work just into her telling the other characters and finally opening up, that might have been a bit more uh, yeah, because it kind of sucks some of the dramatic tension out mm. of the episode. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I'm assuming that Kara has told some people this on the station before. Yeah, we, Dax knows this, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, we, they've kind of Odo knows intimated this. this, but they've never really said this outright that this is exactly what happened. But I feel like having a scene where she's explaining this to someone would have worked a little better yeah. than having these flashbacks would sort of take you out of the episode, take you out of the, or the Frank, sort of I mean, frankly, mood of it and, and kind of take you back to a time that, you know, I mean, it's fine, but we've seen this before. She frankly could have easily uh, ex- had, a, had even, even if it's to him as he's dying, um, told him that, you know, this is why I've been, Pulling apart from you, I've been really, 
you know, when my real father died, I wasn't able to do that, and I, I'm gonna. Yeah, they could have done it that way. Yeah, and that might have been a final. She is letting him know that she is forgiving his atrocities, and that they are, you know, she's relating to him as father and daughter. But it's interesting too that that Kira goes so far with him and then pulls back when Gold Dukat gives her this, you know, kind of frankly little bullshit thing about yeah, him which she being uh, one of five hundred soldiers at some place and they don't even know what happened and. And she, it's almost like she's looking for any excuse to to get rid of him, and it's like she seems to have a lot of strong feelings for for Takeni, but at when push comes to shove, she's very kind of fickle about it. I don't know. I mean, because there is in her scene with Odo, Odo knows about his war record, and he seems to imply that it's fairly it it's fairly open. Again, he's you know. If Kira had wanted after she met him the first time, she could have asked you know. Ask Bajor, you know, the Bajoran militia, pull up his record. I want to see it. And they yeah. would know exactly that. She's had access to that information. Um, well, she it's weird because Kira is usually too smart to let Gold Dukat play her like that. Yeah. And, and I guess also, the... she's also grown a lot, you know, because, she, you know, think back to what she was like in the first season. Yeah. Where she was hot headed. She kind of went off on a, on a, you know, dime. I mean, she was. That's just... even what Dax says in this episode. Yeah. And and this is a kind of a, I mean I guess it makes sense that if she is feeling if she's you know, stretch, is, she's stretched very thin it, in this episode yeah I mean if this is dredging up memories of of her her father dying and her not being there you know of course and and of course and the one reason the flashbacks I think are important is that they show what Kira was like back then and she was obviously very emotionally closed off I mean her father dies and she immediately just goes okay well let's go out and kill some more Cardies mm. that's not a great attitude <laughs> but you know she's obviously grown a lot as a character she's able to have this. Really nice relationship with with Takeni, but you know it's almost like I mean I hate to say it, but the the beginning of the episode where she is very excited for Takeni to come to the station and she's saying, "Look, he's the the leader yeah. of the dissident movement. He's going to bring back Cardassia." She's acting in a lot of ways like a little girl who Daddy's going to fix everything. But then as soon as as soon as she finds out that he's dying, I mean obviously she's very upset and she's sort yeah. of like, "I'll take care of you," but she's still is getting something out of it because Takeni wants to tell her all his secrets. And, yeah, and yeah. I love that that's a Cardassian <laughs> custom. That's a total Cardassian thing. But it's just kind of like as soon as she has no more need for him, she kind of goes away from him. And and for me, it's not – I don't know that that's really like indicative or, 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 or in, in character for, for mm. Kira in a way. I would, agree. I, I would tend to agree. The Kira that we know at this point is not – afraid of death she can she may not welcome it but she's had people die i guess it's just because of the she's reminded of her father she's directly caring for somebody dying of a terminal illness for a few weeks i mean that's going to that that saps the energy out of anybody so uh, we don't see her at her best in this episode yeah that's and true. i think that's fairly intentional because this is a situation that is going to test her in, in in some very bad ways. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I mean, I guess the other the other thing too is that I I kind of wish like we had seen Takeni like another time before yeah. this because we only see him in Second Skin and now we see him now. And I you know I feel like there was it would have been nice to have a bridge episode there which kind of fleshed yeah. out who he was as a character more. I mean, I like Second or Skin. Even I if, you we know, both liked that episode. Yeah. It was very good. He was very good in the episode, and we obviously got some sense of who he was as a person. 
it would have been nice to have her even earlier in the situation have a video message from a video call with him. Yeah, where they because it's almost a like thing of the plot. I think that at some I, I remember at some point in some episode she mentioned something about him. She mentions his name at one point, and I, I wish I could remember what episode that mm. was. I don't know if I don't I don't remember what the context was. I don't know if she was talking to someone or if she said, "Hey, I got a message from Takeni Gamora, yeah, 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 my surrogate father on Cardassia." You know, um, but. It's just it it it's kind of like Takeni is a bit of a prop in this episode, and yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, we're not that invested in him as a character, and his appearance on the show is more about what it's going to tell us about Kira and her character and her story, which I get. But at the same time, I am glad that somebody on the staff thought, you know, something. At there was this character; he would be an amazing resource during this time. Yeah, uh, you know what's happening with him. I, 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 that is very indicative, indicative of the way that DS9 does continuity. It does pick up these threads, and certainly when they created the character and he got out of the episode alive with that bond, they did intend to revisit him at some point. Maybe, it's, maybe it's not, seen, I don't know. But. I don't know, it, 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 it seems whether, there are plenty of threads that maybe they just never got to, but... And meant to, but you got the sense that that was one of those they meant to. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's that important well, either way. But yeah, exactly. We're guessing at intention. Yeah, but. I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't really see that. I kind of feel like Second Skin was kind of a self-contained story, mm-hmm. and it works that he he comes back. But I don't know that they had any intention to bring him back. Yeah. So I mean, they don't. They still leave ambiguous whether Ileana exists or not. Probably she's dead. But yeah, I well. She never. They never mention her again in the show. Okay, so it's whole, not like, thing in the DS Nine relaunch novels where like she comes back and then they go okay. to the mirror universe. And it's, like, so it's not like that Ileana. happens in the series, but some. It's just like Jesus. Okay, novels like why? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Didn't you say you read one where Bashir becomes a spy or something? I yeah, I'm reading it right now. Well, he is genetically advanced and enhanced. <laughs> I like how all the acknowledgement they've had about, you know, Bashir's genetic enhancement is when they're playing darts with the baby in the bar, Miles is all, oh, you're genetically enhanced, you know, and he just like screams it out and Bashir isn't even embarrassed about it. And that's why it. would he be? I don't know. Well, he's that- basically Khan. He doesn't have the same body. You don't know that. He I've might. seen him. <laughs> when? Well, I'll tell you that story after the podcast is over. Right. Or listeners, if you'd subscribe to our XXX podcast. We don't at have the Val- If somebody wants to start giving us $500 a month, I will start an XXX podcast where I tell about how I had sex with Bashir. Okay. Well, if you would like to hear that, then go for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing to mention before we move on to, to, to Frankie Love Songs is is the scene where you know, Takeni is, is introduced to, to Yoshi and, you know, it's a nice scene. It, it indicates yeah. like who Kara sees as her family. I think it's interesting that she hasn't really mentioned Shakar at all in the past few weeks. Anytime somebody mentions to her about Shakar, she's a little embarrassed or like, uh, like I think she's kind of moved on from that relationship, especially given that, you know, she went through an entire pregnancy and he only showed up for the birth. You know, it's not like he was the one rubbing her feet. I think she's just moved on, but there's no reason to break up with him either. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Um, Oh, the other thing, too, is I did want to say that I wanted to mention uh, Avery Brooks' direction this episode. Yes. Does a good job. 
Yeah, good for him. I guess that's all I really have to say about it. <laughs> uh, one little scene I did really like was the one between Quark and Kira when he is starting to needle her. When she's at the bar and he's starting to needle her, or you know, and she's realizes she's you know she's basically like, Quark. I'm not in the mood, and you know, his tone changes and he's bringing her you know warm milk. And yeah, I, I, that was nice. That that was a very good. They don't like each other, but at the same day, they are still on the same team, and he's he knows what she's going through. Yeah, yeah, and Quark knows where his bread is buttered. Oh, yeah. Which is a nice segue into Ferengi love songs. Yum. Which is an episode that I... I loved it. Don't... Oh, what? <laughs> Who are you? I know, I know. Um, This uh, was not good. No, it wasn't good, but I did like it for where the Ferengi metaplot is going. I like the Ferengi meta plot. I'm sorry. And I know they gave us a broad comedy episode. And I know you hate broad comedy episodes. No, but no I, I don't hate broad comedy. I hate broad comedy on Star Trek. That's fair. Because Star Trek is not funny. No. But I thought this was funny. I laughed the entire time. It's so dumb. I know. It's I, so lazy. I had a it's really so... rough day at work and I saw this and I was like, ho, 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 that's funny. That is how he laughs, actually. <laughs> it's so sloppy. Oh, just yes. the whole thing is just like, what is going on? Why is this on my television? There's there's no dramatic heft to any of it. I don't care about Ram and Lita getting married. I guess it's nice. But, like, you know they're going to get married. So the whole time that plot is on the TV, you're just like, why are you wasting my time with, oh, sign the prenup or the whatever the hell they call it the ferengi name for it you know the the don't take my money if we get divorced decree or whatever and you know it's just like and rom is a you know and o'brien gets to be in it and he calls him cupid and o'brien kind of looks like a baby so i guess it makes sense but it's just the whole thing is just a fucking waste of time see i really liked it for where it's taking this theme of uh uh I don't know, from a, from a gender studies point of view, this was a very interesting episode. I know, I know, I guess it's really hard for me to not talk about it without talking about the status of women on Ferenginar. No, we can and, talk about the status of women what, on Ferenginar, which is completely nonsensical at this point, because, okay, the, like, it, 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 it's just so sloppy. It's such a sloppy episode. I know. Because, like, they talk about, oh, Zach is hiding in the closet. No one knows he's there. They're having some sort of secret romance. <laughs> then they go outside for a walk. What the fuck is that? Like, no one is supposed to know that this is happening, so they're just, like, strolling through the neighborhood? I mean, I also like that they have a big garden they're walking through. Also, no, no, I don't think so. And then, like, the like the Ferengi women are not supposed to wear clothes, and when they go for the, go for the walk, Ishka's just, like, wearing clothes outside. <laughs> like, there's a woman wearing clothes outside, walking with the leader of the entire Ferengi, like, a commercial empire alliance bullshit, and, like, no one says anything? He doesn't have bodyguards. He does. He has that one guy. Oh, that one guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who apparently is like eighty years old because Zach says that he's getting elderly or something. Aww. What? This is just dumb. It's I know just it was a, a dumb, dumb episode, episode, but I liked it. I'm sorry. You need to justify to me why you liked it. You're not convincing me. No. I again. I I didn't say I loved it. This wouldn't be one of my favorite episodes. But I was. Oh, just, I think it is. I, <laughs> I think you do love it. I think you want to marry it. I like do. Mom wants to marry Lita. Aw, that's pretty. Or like the Nagus wants to marry Moogie. I don't know if they want to get married. I think they do. Maybe. Um. 
<laughs> I get, again, this wasn't one of the best episodes, but I think I was just in the mood for a dumb comedy that had a little bit of at least intent behind it. Um, I think it's very interesting what they're doing with both Rom and Quark, who are redefining Ferengi masculinity in different ways, just as Moogie is redefining Ferengi femininity. Um, and all of those kind of things. Did, again, is 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 it the most meaty episode? No, but I thought it was fine for that kind of a thing. I guess it's one of those things where uh, should it have been better? Maybe <laughs> yes. Yeah. <no. laughs> yes. Yes. It yeah, should have right. been better. That's, that's fair. It should have been a lot better. Listen, Ferengi episodes are not great, particularly when they're taking place on Ferenginar. I will admit this. Well, I like the last one. I mean, I thought that the last one was okay. Which one was that? Um, that was the one where Rom and Quark go back, and they find out that that Ishka. That was the first appearance of Ishka. Okay. I don't remember the name of it, but I think it was from the. F- third season yeah, yeah, or the fourth yeah, yeah, season yeah. and they go back and they find out that Ishka's okay profit and it's also big well thing, it was cetera, i mean i i i think we have said that we don't like ferengi episodes when the nagus is involved i mean i i will say i well the nagus is 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 horrible yes i mean i really you know i think the first two times we've seen front I really liked him. I think he was an effective Ferengi villain. He was just an asshole in a way that is perfectly in line with the society. And here, you know, he is a little too broad. I will admit, I I will say that even for a broad character. I mean, actually, I I think we're just going to (laughs) disagree in this entire this entire segment, because I actually like him in this episode okay. i mean he is broad but it fits the episode yeah, I mean, i'm I not going to criticize the character i'm not going to criticize the actor for playing brunt broadly no in no this that's episode because this is a very broad episode and everyone is fucking chewing the scenery like crazy putting ketchup on it even but like you know i like the fact that it i mean the wood i'd like a couple things about the episode and yes we can talk about the status of women i know you really want to and you're looking at me and you're like yeah we're gonna talk about this uh, gender well, studies this is what they're here for feminism um i mean i'm happy i'm a feminist i love women there's they think that they're people but like it i just want to make that clear that <laughs> brunt is we're gonna get so much hate mail for saying that that I, we think women are people. they're gonna call us cucks man that's fine <laughs> If you don't think women are people, don't listen to this podcast. Uh, Brunt is revealed in this episode, or maybe a little bit more shading is given to Brunt, that he has a larger plan. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe this is my own bias, but I like political intrigue. I like the sort of like, he's got a pretty good plan about how to become the Nagus. (laughs) And that one scene where Brunt is like, you know, sitting in the chair and uh, why does the Nagus have a throne? Why not? I mean, if you were the Nagus, wouldn't you have a throne? Well, it also like, it's, it's a terrible set. It's not impressive at all. And it looks like the, the breakfast room of La Quinta. Well, you have to wonder (laughs) if that's like part of the point because the Nagus is in decline. Oh, I don't, did I just blow your mind? No, you didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. The Nagus is in decline. So the, the, the seat of, power of the does the term fisher king mean nothing to you no it doesn't okay so i like his plot i like his his idea that scene where he's sitting in the nagus's throne and being like i'm gonna you know he doesn't come right out and say he wants to be the nagus i mean there are some subtle things to this episode and you know quark finally gets his comeuppance on brunt 
in a, in a very organic way. I mean, I think the back half of the episode works a lot better than the, than That's the, the first fair. half of the episode because the first half of the episode, I'm just kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Like, there's voles. People are shooting phasers in Quark's bar. Then Quark goes to Frankenar. His mother's played by a different actress. She's not as good. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, you don't notice these things. Then Zek is in the closet. Then Brunt beams into the closet. I'm like, what the fuck? And then, like, of course, once it starts getting into more of the meaty stuff about the episode and about sort of Ferengi politics and, and the Nagus is in decline and he has some sort of Ferengi version of Alzheimer's or something. And, you know, uh, I mean, you know, there, there are I will say Wallace Shawn. I mean, the, the, the Nagus is not my favorite character. I think that he drags episodes down. I don't think it's the fault of Wallace Shawn. I mean, Wallace Shawn is playing a terrible character. He's playing a terrible character, but he's playing him, I guess, as bad as well as he can. Um, but that whole scene where he's like, make an appointment with the Vulcan doctor. That's, you know, that's pretty good. I like that Quark is obviously shrewd enough to make the connection and come up with a plan to stop Brunt and also get his Ferengi commerce license back. Mm-hmm. It all works for me. I just wish that they would take the Ferengi more seriously. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Business as Usual was a great episode that was not a comedy at all that took the Ferengi characters extremely seriously. You know, Uncle Gala was the type of was a type of Ferengi that we had never seen before. Yeah. And this episode goes back to treating them like I guess to like a degree, and I just I don't. It, it, it is a little difficult to get comedy out of someone in in elderly and who is lapsing into senility for me. It, it, you know, and I guess that is well, that too. Um, I, I guess that is part of the issue, and maybe that's how they could have taken it more seriously. Um, I mean, given what we it, it, number one, it is a little hard to worry about Quark's financial situation, knowing that he lives on DS Nine and is not being charged rent, um, and I think is even being paid for the privilege of having his furniture stored there, quote unquote. If I remember, that's where they left it. Yeah, um, and it's really hard to worry about Ferengi and economic collapse. Although because- you do have to remember that that after business as usual, Cisco was very angry with him and made him pay back the damage to the yeah to the cargo bay fair enough so there's uh, that no but at, at this point though after the weapons dealer incident he's had all his debt debts paid though true but he's got new debts oh that's true new debts new debts um it's hard to care about the collapse of the ferengi financial empire yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah, um, we've wanted it to. I, 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 I mean, I know this is your socialism shining through, but you would very much like for the collapse of the Frankie Financial Empire and the socialist feminist revolution there. Yeah, I'm always a fan of that. Which, which you know, is fair, and I guess a obviously that's not. I, we, we're supposed to accept that we have to care about this because these characters care about it. And that's fine. I can accept that this is important to them and that, that, that let's face it, I don't want to see their planet go into financial ruin so much as I do want, you know, more of a peaceable revolution. But well, this is one of those things that, that most of the time, I don't think that this is a problem on Star Trek where, where like one building stands in for the entire planet. But yeah. I don't have a good sense of Ferenginar. I mean, it's rainy and there's a city and we have Moogie's house and the Grand Nagus's. I mean, how big is it? How big is it? I don't know. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how many people live on it. I don't get a sense of what an actual financial collapse would actually mean for people. 
and I don't get a good sense of what their society is like. So, I mean, we kind of get some ideas about it, but for the most part, it's kind of a black box. Yeah. And this episode is asking us to care about the financial collapse of the Ferengi Empire, which, okay, that sounds bad. I mean, bad, to me, it, it, but... it, it doesn't make sense for there to, number one, be one head of it. I can picture Fer- Ferenginar being ruled by, say, a half dozen corporations, and the you know the Nagus that we see is the head of one. Well, if you want to get into some politics, political theory, it sounds to me like the Grand Nagus is obviously the titular head of the Ferengi state, but the board of liquidators is some sort hmm. of power behind the scenes that acts as some sort of check on his power, sort of like a, a parliament or something, Yeah, but smaller and perhaps not as uh, uh, a representative. So there's that. Yeah, I... I- it it almost seems like they they're you know maybe advising the Nagus, but in, in all cases they can do a vote of no confidence in the Nagus, and that seems to be what I mean. It right. may I mean I'm just I'm spitballing here, but it may even be like the board of liquidators has to has to vote and approve all of the Grand Nagus's actions. And mm. Usually it's just a rubber stamp, but every once in a while they go, "Hey, you." Well, that's you what know. this. Yeah, it it seems yeah. like they have the power to question his every decision, and if he doesn't give. Answers that. Oh God, are, are we s- taking Ferengi society seriously again? What would do? Well, you just said a few minutes ago it would be nice to take Ferengi society seriously. So. All right, let's take it seriously. Yeah, no, it, it, this meeting that the climax of the part of the climax of the episode go, you know, goes around. It seems like what Brunt is doing is the Nagus has made all of these terrible decisions. He's not going to be able to justify any of them, and then they could say, "Listen, the Nagus." isn't making a decision do we vote to have him out okay who do we vote to be the next nagus by the way it should be me um that and i want i want more of that in this episode yeah. i want more of ishka talking to zach about the the rights of women i want yeah more i like i want more scenes between quark and his mother talking about these issues i like i how want it, i want yeah. much less of Zach and Moogie noodling on the couch. That's fair. One of the much, scenes that I... Much, less. I would like less than zero of that. <laughs> I would like a negative amount of that, please. There were a couple of scenes between Moogie and Quark that I really liked, given that... I mean, Quark des- describes... The way that Quark describes his loss of his license is almost in a castration sense. He doesn't feel like he's a Frangy man anymore. And... There was is that very interesting scene where he's talking to her and he's saying, I feel very cut off. There's all these opportunities that I can't do. And she's saying, oh, really? You know, because she knows yeah. exactly in a way he knows what it's like to become a to be a woman in this society. And he hasn't quite made that connection. And there is that really great moment later on where she finally yells at him and says, listen, I'm really don't i'm sorry i love you but i don't care about your problems right now because we have bigger ones yeah um you know that does make me realize though that that i want to go back to that but um i'm assuming that rom has a ferengi commerce license so why wouldn't quark just like use that one behind the scenes Uh, because would he want to give the because would he want to give that power to his brother I don't – I because he uh, he certainly doesn't – he th- certainly thinks of himself as more masculine than Rom, more Ferengi than Rom is. And I can't – I can see that being a bridge too far for Well, let's, to let's really dive into some gender theory. So – Yay! What, what you have here is a society predicated on the, the – on, on basically raw greed and the acquisition yeah. of wealth and power to, to – um, to, to the exclu- exclusion of everything else. And if you don't have that, you are in effect emasculated. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there are, we're assuming 50% of the population is, is, is female. <laughs> and 
sorry. I just I hate the fact that they use the the term female. It's so <laughs> clinical. But anyway, that. But I think that's very I, deliberate I know, in this. I know. And, but they they have half their population that is effectively emasculated in that sense yes. because they are not able to exercise the power that is inherent in being a Frankie man. And, so, and I will say, I think the show is very cognizant. I, I, I don't know if the show is cognizant or not that it's problematic that capitalism is is considered being a full citizen in a way. Uh, I mean, that that's I, what the it's participation in. think it is, but who yeah. knows? Uh, yeah, I, I think it almost reminds me of things like how you know, gays in the military or women in, women in combat positions is seen as as, as a step forward. When is it? Yeah, you right. know, it, it, certainly Moogie very much believes that women need full economic participation in their society. And while we do agree that, you know, part well, of- that is that is the way for her to exercise yeah. her power. Now, I, you know, the other thing, too, is that I, I want to get rid of Rom here because I'm tired of talking about him in this episode. But the, yeah. the one thing I want to say about Rom in, in regards to this whole conversation about gender is that for Rom, it seems like he is very much trying to redefine his conception well, of what it means to be a man. And he comes up with one that I think works for him. Yeah, in a way, by voluntarily giving up. There are a lot of, to a very degree, a large pile of Latinum is seen as a symbol of manhood for many Ferengi. And by the way, I should say that that I don't necessarily agree with this. We're just talking about this in theoretical terms because yeah. the show is presenting this as, as sure. a fait accompli. So... Sure, but I mean, just as I, I, and I mean, this is certainly something in our society we will see. But I think having a large pile of latinum, having especially given the way that lobes are used on the show, the same way we would say balls, and you know, you have the, having the lobes for business, you know, means you're very good good at acquiring latinum, and you're also extraordinarily masculine according to Ferengi standards. Yes, I think there is a very close identification with the two. And so at the end of— And also think back to uh, the second season episode where Quark falls in love with the, the woman who's pretending to be a man and she has fake lobes. It's, uh, al- yeah. it's almost like a woman wearing shoulder pads or something. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, stuffing a sock down there. Um, by Rom giving away his fortune, he is essentially self-castrating, which is interesting, but based on the fact that you know, he, he he is now able to marry the woman he loves, which is an extraordinary – I mean th- that we one would say is very coded heterosexual masculine yeah. in many ways. He is able to attain his masculinity by throwing away a standard of masculinity that he doesn't anymore really believe in. Yeah. Well, and also too, I mean on, on, a, on a sort of show level and not really a theory level – you know, Rom is. I mean, what does what connection does Rom really have at this point yeah. to Ferengi society? He lives on a Bajoran space station that is administered by the Federation. He is marrying a Bajoran citizen. He has a job with the Bajorans. He's being paid yeah. by the Bajorans. I mean, really, the only connection he has is. Well, I, th- I didn't. I thought he was Quark. working for the Federation. Huh. No, he's working for the Bajorans okay. because he's wearing a Bajoran okay, I- uniform. Um, and there are Bajoran like maintenance staff and there are Bajoran security officers. So okay, you know, I just thought a... because O'Brien was, but I guess as the head of operations, it would be right. He's some he's kind in, of he's in charge of that. But well, yeah, I mean, but but then you know you look at it and you say, okay, what are his connections to his actual people? He's got his mother who 
uh, is a woman who is very good at business and wants to earn profit and thinks that women should have equal rights. So that's kind of a, a very you know distant connection to the Ferengi because she wants to change her entire way of life. Yeah. You have Quark, who is moving further and further away from that, who also kind of doubles down this episode and kind of re-gets his lobes or whatever, if you want to say that. But you also have, have his son, Nog, who has yeah. pretty much even uh, uh, further gone away from and rejected Ferengi society by joining Starfleet Academy. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's not insignificant that that little arc ends with, you know, Lita's very proud that he's given away his money, and she, but she also makes a point to say, and we'll also have my salary. I mean, he is. They are very much going into a situation in which the woman is the breadwinner here, which not only for American society was still a little. Uh, was still considered fairly progressive in the mid-90s, is extraordinarily progressive for a Ferengi to get into. Actually, in the late 90s now. This would have been 97. Yeah. I mean, still, you know, certainly there were many women in the workforce, you know. Sure. But this, I I, I would say that was one of the first, you know, given that the 70s were really when that version of feminism that was about getting women into careers – it's still a fairly new it was still a fairly new idea at the time yes yes so let's talk about about the the, the femininity and the and the feminism of the episode then because it's kind of i don't know i i like the fact that they bring it up they don't completely forget it i mean obviously yeah. ishka has not uh, uh lost her desire to exercise her power in this way she is obviously not still earning profit for herself but as quark realizes she is kind of the power behind the throne she is advising zach she is you know she's you know she's doing this of her own volition she really wants to do this when quark comes yeah. in and she's looking over the thing and she's like oh my god it's a collapse of the ferengi empire <laughs> blah, 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 you know and she's doing that because she wants to well she in in some ways by using uh the nagus as a surrogate for her own business acumen that kind of does a lot uh, – she's 100% legally able to conduct business and actually does a more seductive version of proving that women are capable of business because at this point the Nagus – by the end of the episode, the Nagus is, knows exactly where his advice is coming from. He knows Yeah. That. He knows that – so he at this point has demonstrable evidence that a woman can be better at business than a man, that a woman can have extraordinarily, extraordinarily large business lobes. I think that in the face of such evidence, you know, she she's proving a living example of the capabilities of women, and I think that can only go further. I mean she very much ends the episode by saying, "I look, I do want to convince you that – you know, women can participate just as equally into in this system. And I think the more time they spend together, the more the Nagus is going to be softened towards those views. Or he might die. Or he might die, and at which point, what's going to happen? He doesn't die. Oh, That's too dark even for this show. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And I mean, I mean, I will say that, that, that I don't, I don't know. I don't really like the performance of this actress playing Ishka. Uh, I think yeah. that the previous actress was a lot better. Um, and unfortunately, she just cannot take the, the makeup and mm, decline it to is come fairly, back. It's fairly complicated. I couldn't tell, I, at least from the physicality of it, because, again, the makeup is so heavy that... I mean, she does a good job at mimicking the performance of the previous actress who played Moogie, but... At the same time, she's mimicking someone else's performance rather than giving her own. There's and, a little less liveliness to it. Yeah, maybe uh, if she had... 
not tried to be the same exact character, but played it her own way. Because in this performance of Moogie, I mean, in the previous incarnation of her, you really got a sense of, of what her internal life was like. And I mm. don't really get a sense of it. She's kind of, you know, she's she's playing the notes, but not the music kind of. And, you know, I mean, it's not a bad performance, and I don't yeah. think that it drags the episode down at all. But No, there's plenty of other things that drag the episode <laughs> down. That is true. Like the, the, the Marauder action figures. Oh, I thought that was cute. Which were apparently redressed spawn action figures <laughs> with energy whips that were made out of pipe cleaners. Aww. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's, meh. I guess what I like best about the episode is that just at the end of the day, Quark just leaves Brunt back in the closet. Like, he doesn't even bother kicking him out. That is a very, that is a very weird, like, running gag. Yeah, I too. know. It's, well, it's because, as you said, Star Trek isn't great at making things funny. And also there was no other place for him to beam into, I guess. Right? I don't know. I, I actually didn't think about him as beaming into there. I just figured he snuck in. No, and... he beamed. He beamed in there. Are you sure? Brian? Did he say that? Yeah. Oh. There was a transporter noise twice. Oh. What the hell do you do when you watch well, these episodes? I am partially deaf, remember? He said he beamed into the closet. I didn't hear that. I oh just wanted, but be. So this actually brings the episode down because I pictured Brunt Super Spy. No. Oh. Okay, good. So you don't like the episode either. Fantastic. Well, the last thing I want to say as someone who lives in a rainy climate, I appreciated the fact that there was a nice little sociological detail where they keep towels by the door to wipe off your head. Good for them. Yeah. I don't know why they don't use umbrellas, but I guess it's because none of them have hair, so it doesn't really matter that much. They can just walk in and get a towel. And Yeah, but they're clothes, you think. Maybe their clothes are treated with waterproof. some sort of waterproof fabric thing. I guess it would probably would be, because even if you do have an umbrella. I mean, Quark didn't seem wet coming in, so. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's That's what we care about. And also the name of the episode... Just no thank you. Frankie Love Songs. I thought that they were going to sing a Frankie Love Song at some point. Well, they did try and get Paul McCartney to guest on this episode, but he said no because they wanted him to dress as a Frankie. And he doesn't like it. Well, I, I think he was upset because that is of lie. all the, you know, of all the eating bugs, you know, jokes. And, you know, since he is a strict vegetarian. That is true. Well, yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, if you enjoy our podcasts and uh, would like to give us a little money. Uh, if you give us $5 a month or more, you can check out our patron specials. The one that we released uh, just a couple weeks ago was uh, something that a few people have been clamoring for for a while. We discussed the classic 90s adventure game, Sure, I think. Star Trek 25th anniversary. Well, wait, wait, wait. You should know that. What was 25 years after 1967? 69. 1994. So, yes. 19... I thought it was when it premiered. I don't know. 1966 it premiered in. Okay, so 66. What's 25 years uh, after what, that? 91. Okay, so it was 1991 or something. Okay, fine. It was 1991. I'm glad we figured that out. But I think it was 1993, actually. <sighs> If you would like to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at TrekAboutShow. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. We would appreciate it very much. And also check out another podcast, Tuning In. The fifth episode is being released just in two days. If you're listening to this on the day this podcast was released, August 16th, Tuesday, August 16th. 
It's about uh, Firefly, the episode Safe, which I don't think we liked, but I don't remember. We didn't hate it. Sure, we'll go with that. Or did we? Find out. You have to listen to it. But what are we doing next week? Well, that's a good question, Richard. Next week, we are talking about the episodes Soldiers of the Empire and Children of Time. So we'll see you then.